going to have to do an experiment first, though. Um, given that this is about fan engagement, and presumably you're fans of this panel since you're here, we would like to ask you to do us a favor. Who's on Twitter here? Hands up. Actually, that's not many people at all. If you are on Twitter, um, we'd love you to take out your phone at the same time. Let's see those phones come out. No pressure, no pressure. And take a photograph of the panel and tweet it out with words along the lines of, this is the most awesome panel ever. <laughs> Hashtag TNW2018. No one else will be doing that, you see, and everyone will think this is the best panel, which indeed it is. And we want to start off um, with a bit of a provocation. But before I go on, I want to introduce the people with me. We've got a real star cast of panelists here with this topic, which is engaging the sports industry in remarkable ways, but also expanding the sports industry beyond its present dimensions. And uh, what we want to do over the next 20 or so minutes, 24 minutes and five seconds, is to give you a glimpse into how technology is changing the way in which fans are engaging with sports. Um, so to my immediate left, we have Shireen Hamden, who is from Populous. Who's heard of Populous? Who's ever been to a sports stadium? <laughs> um, Populous has been behind many of the world's most remarkable stadiums, including the Yankee, Yankee Stadium, the London 2012 Olympic Stadium, and has a vision for the future of sports stadia, which is really remarkable. We also have Oliver Weingarten, who is working with Virtually Live to imagine a new era of virtual reality sports, which is just mind-blowing. And we also have Bill Martins from Bamtech Media, who will take us back to basics and remember what's crucial about delivering compelling sports experiences. So please welcome my panel. And I was asked to do a five-minute provocation here to set us up for the discussion. And the starting point is, if I get the first presentation up, um, is that in the future, all sports will be eSports. And we've heard a bit about that already this afternoon with Nicholas's talk and in the previous session, thinking about how digital gets integrated with sports. And at the moment, within the sports media, we see a growing awareness of how eSports are becoming a presence, a force to be reckoned with. Um, but I think there's still early days in the world of esports. We're still really much at ground zero in terms of where it may go in the future. And uh, for me, what's critical and crucial about esports is the way in which it may integrate with traditional sports. Now, we don't tend to see that at the moment. We tend to see, in fact, the sorts of games that we, we are familiar with, with big publishers like, um, with big titles like League of Legends and StarCraft, those sorts of sports. And the clicker's not working, but that's okay. Um, but I want to suggest to you that, in fact, we have to kind of look back and see what's happened over the last 10 years to understand where sports may be going in the future. So whilst everybody is simply moving their fingers across keyboards, mostly in the pursuit of esports activity, this is still very much the beginning of the interface. And I want you to think about the relationship between the digital and the physical in pursuit of this new era of esports. Why is it that future sports will all be esports? It has to do with that integration of the physical and the digital. We heard a bit of that in the Drone Racing League presentation, where we think about how what's compelling about them is that interface between the physical and the digital experience. But at the end of the Rio Olympic Games, the IOC president made a speech and spoke about the fact that traditional sports need to evolve. They need to adapt because young people aren't playing them as much as they used to. 
There are many more opportunities to be interactive now than there were in the past. And at the end of those games, we saw, in fact, five new sports being added to the Olympic program, including skateboarding, uh, which many people were surprised to see being part of those games. There's always this discussion about how a new practice becomes part of the old institutions of sports. But at the moment, we're at a point where, in fact, we could imagine the possibility of esports becoming part of the Olympic Games. And that's partly to do with this transition that we're seeing, where esports are expanding quite dramatically. Also in Rio, if we can get the sound down. Um, also in Rio, we saw the first showcasing of an esports tournament, tournament take place as part of British House. A couple of years later, at the Pyeongchang Olympic Games, Intel, partnering with the IOC, had an esports masters tournament. Uh, which began this integration of traditional and new kinds of sports. So we see this momentum grow, but we also see a new economy around sports emerging, where platforms like Twitch are getting organizations like the IOC to think about what the future of rights may be with regards to sports content. Everything is changing quite dramatically and quite quickly. People want to follow athletes rather than channels. These sorts of values are pervading the systems around sports. And we see all sorts of companies create new kinds of ways of thinking about that interaction. So Parrot here with their AR drone, creating that kind of real-world computer game that we heard Nicholas talk about earlier. This integration is compelling partly because of that physical activity that emerges out of it. Anyone played Zombies Run? A few years ago now, it came out. But again, for me, it's fascinating because you have, within this single example, of a gamified physical exercise experience, the possibility of recreating what physical activity is all about. At the Olympic Games as well, we see this experimentation with technology over the years. This again from Rio shows you how they were playing with 360 filmmaking, putting it directly onto YouTube. So a lot is up for grabs in the world of sport at the moment. And that's one of the things that's really exciting, that people are trying to imagine the new possibilities of delivering completely different sports experiences as spectators. So we have yet to discover, I think, the total range of, of experiences that would fall under the category of esports. There's a tendency, whenever you see the sort of establishing of a, of a niche within an industry, to think that is what it will be like for the next 10 to 15 years. But in fact, the technologies, the platforms, the devices that we use to interact with esports may be dramatically different. And we can see this going back many years, the capacity for esports. You might remember, anyone remember playing this? Dance Dance Revolution, physical activity being brought into a game's experience. And there was an interesting study from the University of Chicago that showed how this game broke down different social boundaries. In the Athletes' Village in Rio in 2016, these games were being played by athletes competing at the Olympic Games. So again, we have that integration of the industries, the gaming industry and the sports industry underpinning this development. And then we have these traditional titles. Uh, which we see as being the forefront of the esports industry, which, but which are just the tip, I think, of an iceberg that is about to grow very quickly. So, with that in mind, um, it's useful to think about what esports might look like in the future and to imagine how we then create new opportunities for engaging fans through interactive experiences, like Ride On Goggles here with their prototype showing how augmented content could be brought into the headset of someone physically skiing on a piste or snowboarding on a piste. These sorts of capacities, often many of which are still quite early on, have a long way to go still. But this is where we kind of want to leave things. And if you think about an arena presently, 
what might it look like as a virtual reality space? Whilst we think of these VR demos as being things that we can only see on a screen, how could we create a three-dimensional version of this digital arena to create a completely different sports experiences? And with that in mind, I want to begin the conversation with, with Shireen. So we're going to switch over to the, to the next presentation, if we could. And uh, Populous has been doing some really interesting things in the last year or so, especially. But I think we're going to start off with a video that is a, um, a, a concept video, really, isn't it? Yes. Um, so I'm an architect. And um, we design facilities that um, where people love to come together and share a common experience, whether it's um, a stadium or an arena or a music event or the London Olympics. We did all the overlay, whether most of the venues, most of the temporary venues, a number of the uh, permanent venues. And every year for the last 30 years, we've also been um, putting on the Super Bowl. So a couple of years ago, we started wondering um, what an arena for the virtual world looks like, what an arena for esports might look like. Um, and it's completely different in terms of how you approach it than a temporary or a permanent venue, whether it's for music or sports. So this is a concept video we've put together. Um, hopefully it'll come up soon. If we can play that second video, that'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> of what we envision a um, esports venue to be. It has to be um, a gaming village, because with esports, you've got a lot of, it's multifaceted, you've got a lot of players with different interests all coming together to, in, a, in a certain environment to do what they like. It has to be a community. It has to be open 24-7. It has to have multi, multiple aspects. It has to um, not only be in a traditional sense, kind of enclosed the way a stadium is when you're watching a, a, field, a game on the field of play or an arena. The event has to expand into the cityscape. So we looked at different types of technologies for that, either both the things that exist and things that don't, and try to kind of take them to their limits. The new arena, the new esports arena for a virtual 2020 would be interactive would be able to transform from a 20,000-seat event to a 1,000-seat event and still feel intimate. You'd redefine how you interact with your physical environment, whether it's the seat or the screen. You can feel what the player is feeling. You can feel what your virtual character is feeling. Um, you as a spectator are also a participant. So we've kind of removed this whole idea of, you know, you've got a, traditionally you have a media zone in uh, stadiums and you've got a hospitality zone. With an esports arena, it's all inclusive. You can move around it. The ticketing would be quite different because with e-games, um, events can go on for eight or nine hours. You don't want to be stuck with a single perspective all that time. So you can have a ticket for certain zone for different times of the day, so you're, you get enhanced experiences. We also looked at these venues and cities as well, where you might be able to stack your inclusive experience and kind of create a vertical uh, layering system. And with esports, they are global events. They are not events that, um, you know, people, I think the older generation, especially when I speak to my parents about it, when you talk about e-gaming, they think it's, they still think it's someone sitting in a room playing a game. 
but they are they, they have created a sense of community and um, when you think about that you have to connect virtual sites technology allows that to happen and um, we've done it kind of in a low-tech manner with uh, decentralized uh, sports hubs when you have the Olympics but this would take it to another level so those were kind of some of the thinking behind um, our e-gaming exercise and it kind of progressed beyond that to um, encompass some of the stuff that was discussed in the previous sessions about um, training as well virtual training is so much healthier for the body especially in, on impact sports than um, physical so that would become part of the entire experience as well so one of the things that strikes me is how bespoke the stadium may be are they is the vision really at this point designing solely for esports use or what other kind of imaginations around the construction of stadia are occupying your sort of time at the moment so when we um designed the venue we designed it as a study but we're mm -hmm. actually building one now we're building an esports venue um which will be the largest um, in the world at the moment in dallas I say the largest, but it's only um, it's a hundred thousand square feet, so it's a, it's a, about a thousand seats. Uh -huh. And the idea is, it's a it's a it's a smallish venue, but very large because it's the first of its kind. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it will have the ability to grow. So we've taken some of the technologies that we were looking at, and the idea of community and village, and we're trying to implement it into this venue, which will open at the end of the year. See, that certainly sounds like a sustainable model in terms is, of day-to-day -day yeah. usage, which is very different perhaps from this sort of <laughs> vision of the future. And is it that you think that these spaces will be kind of multi-purpose spaces for a while? Absolutely. They will be multi-purpose. Uh, they will be accessible. Um, and they will be for everyone. The, the kind of the underlying um, message from kind of the esports community is community it's yeah. all about you know in interacting whether it is on a um on a blog or physically but it is trying to kind of retain this level of um, interaction between the player and the user and the act the facility itself yes. so and i want to show a couple of these things because they're really interesting in terms of how you might engage an audience so tell us what's going on in this image um we did a so while that was going on, we also did this piece for the National Geographic, which was the previous slide, mm. um, and it was and it looked at um, how you can um, take technologies that currently exist and try to push them to their limits. So some of the things we looked at was the field of play itself, you know, new um, next generation fiber optic technology, for example, will allow you to gather data from the field of play. Imagine trying to imagine looking at a shot like this in the future and knowing what the trajectory of the ball will be, the speed. We also did a study with Adidas, which is this image, um, about smart uniforms integrating kind of the new fiber optic field of play technology with wearable technology. You know, you'll have enough data on a single player to fill an ocean probably. <laughs> so we've got stadia that are multi-purpose like these images represent yeah. but you've also got additional sort of fan experiences which uh, I mean I've, I've, I've kind of I mean is it, what, what sport is it we've got going on here is it? A it's baseball. Baseball I mean I'm not a baseball fan but I would go and watch a baseball match <laughs> in order to be in I think that it's pool. Actually, is, maybe not. is it baseball? It's, uh, well actually <laughs> this is um, we there's a couple of things when we think about fans and 
fans of the future. Yeah. One is data is so important. Mm. Um, we've done studies in the past where um, we asked millennials what's important for them. Number one was their phone. Number 10 was water. <laughs> I mean, that's... Uh, <laughs> but with the fan of the future, they're not all, me included, I'm not a very big sports fan, but I do love going to stadiums to be part of um, an event, to be part of a community. And the fan of the future is going to be someone who might necessarily be um, a fan of the game. So we're, we started looking at venues where you can watch without watching, similar to when you look at, you know, you're watch Netflix at home and you're flicking on your phone. But how do you, how do you turn that into events? What do you do in, a, in an event? Um, this is um, the Jaguars Stadium mm. in Florida, where we were asked to reduce the capacity of the stadium and add more activities to create more footfall. So we added a pool, and this is the most popular space in the entire stadium at the, at the moment. I, I want to I bring in Oliver here. If we could get that third video queued up for us, please, because Virtually Live has been doing amazing things in terms of creating completely different sports experiences. So I wonder, because it seems to me that if you're experiencing sport in a virtual reality headset, do you think of that headset as a kind of stadium in its own right, as a kind of distinct physical space that, that you occupy? I mean, it's very different to create a sense of community when you're, I guess, isolated within that headset. So tell us a bit about what you've been doing. Yeah, good question. Good afternoon, everyone. <laughs> I think um, the point is two years ago when Virtually Live started prototyping with various sports leagues in motorsport and soccer, it was positioned as a VR company. Mm. And the experience we gave fans through taking real-time data into a CGI environment was extremely immersive. So I'm a sports fan, I love going to events, but we recognize that 99% of fans will never attend an event. I think Adam Silver at the NBA has often said 99% of NBA fans will never get to an NBA arena. So we were saying, there's a problem, how can we deal with that problem? And we felt that by providing an immersive experience, but also one that is very social, so whatever you're doing, you can share on all the social media platforms, would be an attractive proposition to the consumer that can't get to the races or wants a complimentary viewing experience. So we started out on virtual reality, but actually, um, in 10 days' time, we're about to announce a, a major sports partnership, and the announcement will be that the platform is completely agnostic. So mm -hmm. the experience that you want to view, um, such as uh, the one that's on screen, is actually can be, can be controlled via mobile mm -hmm. or desktop. And what I'm showing on screen at the moment is that we've recreated uh, the live racetrack, so that's in Berlin, Formula E, last weekend, and you have the ability to go in any car. You can uh, choose any driver, and you can cut, record, share on Facebook, Twitch, and really engage a new demographic. Mm. And is that creating, I'm, so it's all CGI, the experience, and I guess then does that affect in terms of what you can do in terms of advertising in different ways? Is there a different sort of model? So we, we replicate the racetrack completely uh -huh. into CGI. We have the ability to incorporate the audio from the world feed. We can do deals with broadcast licenses to incorporate the linear broadcast content. But we can be creative with the inventory. We can introduce advertising. We can introduce uh, virtual championships, etc. And it's a real extension into the esports arena. Um, complementing the linear broadcast because mm. you know there's that appointment to view but we recognize people have a finite amount of time to can ingest their sport so this is going to be an app that will be available 365 days a year with content related to the sport so when you hear Shireen talk about building for the future where would you imagine people 
undertaking these sorts of experiences? Is it in the home with headsets or would it be in bespoke places? That well, are it, it can be in the home, it can be on their mobile. I mean, there's a finite amount of people that have really gone out and bought an Oculus or an HTC Vive <laughs> headset. Uh, it can be complementary to the track. Your sponsors can utilize it for activations. Yeah. Um, you know, if the bandwidth is good enough in the actual event, there's no reason you can't have your companion app mm. and have it actually um, giving you a feed of a particular driver that you want to follow that might not be covered in the actual broadcast feed mm. by the host broadcaster. So it's really all-encompassing. And would, would you go as far as to say that the CG version would be, a CGI version would be more compelling than the, the film-based version, or...? Well, look, we're not trying to disrupt the, the broadcast market just yet because we recognize where the money comes into sport. Yeah. I mean, I've been involved in football and Formula One, so I'm yeah. very well aware of that. But the fact is we're providing content for the host broadcaster to put into the world feed. Yeah. And people come into the TV compound and they struggle to identify which is CGI mm -hmm. and which mm -hmm. is the real broadcast, much like in a film these days. So I think it's uh, converging. Yeah, I'd like to bring you in here, Bill, because I'm curious to see your reactions to these things you've heard, but also to talk about how that relates to what BAMTEC is doing. Sure. So, um, first of all, thanks for, for having me. Um, just for those of you who aren't familiar with BAMTEC, um, we were formed out of Major League Baseball uh, about 17 years ago, um, and we've developed a proprietary platform through which we provide direct-to-consumer streaming solutions to premium content brands such as WWE, Sony View, and Hulu. We also own and operate uh, a growing portfolio of direct-to-consumer products, including NHL.TV and the recently launched ESPN+. Uh, last year, we were acquired by Disney uh, to be the foundation for their new direct-to-consumer strategy, um, and we also opened up offices in Amsterdam as part of our international expansion, so we're fully built out from an infrastructure and an uh, operating perspective. Um, so I'm going to be the buzzkill on this panel. Um, <laughs> Uh, so first, to be clear, um, Major League Baseball has led innovation in the streaming space for many years in terms of uh, developing, uh, for example, uh, using data to enhance both uh, digital experiences as well as broadcasts. Um, but the point, of, so first of all, there's a lot of opportunity here and I, I look forward to, to seeing how some of these technologies progress. Um, and it's good to see that there are companies that are really driving uh, this technology and, and, uh, and committed to really, uh, you know, enhancing the, the sports experience. Um, but, I th you know, the point I would like to make is, is, is that the basics matter. Um, so when it comes to um, moving audiences uh, from television over to interactive platforms, the first and most important element uh, is a high-quality stream. Um, the TV, television has set a, a very high bar in terms of the quality of the actual stream itself uh, through your television sets. Um, and while there's tremendous opportunity with interactive platforms, uh, the internet ecosystem is, is far more complex. So I'll just give you a couple of examples of that, you know, that we've, we've sort of dealt with over the years. Uh, one is device proliferation. Um, so currently we uh, support over 13,000 different combinations of operating systems and devices. Um, and as many of you know, uh, new devices and versions are coming to the market faster than older ones are deprecated. So supporting that uh, ecosystem of devices is very challenging. There's also a lack of standards uh, uh, on the internet as compared to the television industry. So things like, um, uh, things like uh, you know, uh, multiple DRMs, uh, streaming formats, et cetera. I would expect over time that, in fact, this is happening. New standards are being developed, um, but that's still a challenge in a number of areas. And then the last would just be the, the complexity of the ecosystem. 
So when you're talking about internet-based products, you're talking about cloud services, you're talking about CDN, you're talking about um, third-party SDKs, you're talking about uh, you know, proprietary software, et cetera. So all of these uh, different technologies and hardware have to interconnect in a way um, that works um, and that delivers, again, an experience that's comparable to what you see on your television set. And what I would also say is as you, uh, as you kind of localize and personalize products, it becomes um, increasing, increasingly difficult to do this at scale. Um, so, you know, there are challenges here. The technology continues to improve, but um, that, you know, is the sort of first and, and, and most important step, I would say, in terms of building uh, experiences around uh, uh, these events on digital platforms. And just by way of an example, uh, when we did the, we did the, uh, the Olympics for Eurosport recently, um, you know, and our focus there, it was the first all-digital Olympics, so all the uh, live events and VOD were available um, for, for all events um, on Eurosport Player. And we really made a point of focusing on just delivering a super high-quality stream um, so that people who were not able to consume that content on television could have a very comparable experience um, when uh, consuming it through, through devices. Uh, and given that it was in uh, South Korea, you know, given the time zone differences, et cetera, that was actually a pretty important um, element to, to, to the service. So one thing I guess I want to ask you, we've got a couple of minutes before we finish the panel, but um, the ancient Olympic Games was mentioned in the previous session. Oh, sorry? The ancient Olympic Games was mentioned in the previous session. And I wonder whether you think sports today, with all the technology, are more compelling than they were 2,000 years ago. I mean, is it obviously that these things do, in fact, increase fan engagement, or do they take us away from the experience in any way? So, you know, I think, um, just kind of building on some of the earlier commentary, um, you know, sports is about emotional touch points, right? I mean, that's really what that experience is about. And I think there's been a lot of emphasis on sort of recreating those different emotional touch points um, in the arena experience on these new devices. Um, you know, I think we're still, um, you know, I think that we've done a lot of things to enhance, I would say, um, the experience on digital platforms. But, you know, there's a lot, still a lot of opportunity in terms of really create, recreating something that either, you know, equals that experience or potentially even goes beyond it. Mm. Um, so just to give a couple of examples, uh, from an engagement perspective, um, there's an application that many of you are probably familiar with called HQ Trivia. Um, social, social gaming, I should say, I think it has a lot, we can learn a lot from social gaming in terms of how to, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, you know, emulate, uh, leverage, and enhance these, these emotional touch points. So uh, HQ Trivia uh, is an application, it's basically a game show. It, it, um, there's two contests a day, I think it's at 3 and 9 p.m. Eastern time. Um, so the participants answer between 12 and 15 questions. It's the process of elimination, and there's real money at stake. Um, and, and they've managed to build, in a very short time, a massive audience around this service. Um, uh, and, and it's all, by the way, done around live video. So it's this whole notion of live interaction with a live mm -hmm. event. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an example from an engagement perspective. From a um, monetization perspective, um, you know, there's, there's the example and, and how you kind of channel that, um, exp that those emotional high points back into your core business. Um, there's this notion of, um, uh, uh, sorry, um, well, I'll just describe it. So, um, you know, if you, if you have a, a sports uh, application and, you know, you're following your team, um, you know, I've seen the past uh, on certain products, the, the, this, this notion of, um, you know, if a team's doing re really well during the season, offering uh, the followers of that team 
essentially an opportunity to buy uh, a ticket or to buy two tickets, right? So one that can be used in the near term, right? Because the team's on a streak and, you know, they're very excited about it. And the second, which can be used, you know, two months from now, when they may or may not be on a streak anymore. So there, there's opportunities, I think, to take what you know about the consumer and to build monetization op opportunities off of that. Um, you know, and I think there'll be a lot of innovation there as well. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, BAMTech has it's driven OTT. The way that fans now consume sports media has really been driven out of baseball mm -hmm. having that whole offering. And OTT is a hot topic now in sports rights, isn't it? Yeah. Because you've got the Facebooks and Amazons all looking at how they can acquire and then provide the yeah. fan at home with sports coverage. Yeah, certainly. We are out of time, unfortunately. I guess I've, I feel reassured that if the future of sports is in your three hands, we'd be in pretty good shape. We keep focused on the basics of what is emotional engagement in sport. We keep making technology driving new kinds of experiences. And we think carefully about the physical spaces in which those sorts of things happen, not least because we kind of imagine that sport is kind of universal and is open to everybody, but it, people are turned off from sports at a very early age. So in fact, to expand this definition can be a really great thing. Please join me in thanking our panelists for this session. <laughs>